Well, good morning again to those who are with us online and welcome to those who are with us in the room. And thank you for being here on Easter Sunday. It really is a significant Sunday in the life of our church. I know that the buckets are still kind of going around. And while the buckets are going around, just another thank you to our church for your incredible generosity. I mentioned it up front in the service, but the work that is going on in the local communities because of the generosity of this church is just uh, mind-blowing. I know the gratitude um, of the people when we're able to serve them and meet them in their time of need. Um, there is one particular need right now, and that is we're looking for gas. So those gas cookers um, or those five-liter gas bottles, um, if you do have those or you'd like to buy that, obviously there's loads of needs, but right now with no power and no water, for us to be able to cook meals out there um, is uh, significantly difficult. So um, again, come and chat to me, Scotty, one of the pastors, and find out ways that you can get involved. But a huge thank you uh, to everybody who is getting involved. Um, and we'll continue just to serve and let you know how we're serving the local community. Um, for those who may have not been here the last couple of weeks, we have been preaching a message um, called, oh, I nearly lost that, the garden, the gauntlet, and the empty grave. The garden, the gauntlet, and the empty grave. And, and what we've really looked at is this idea of why why did Jesus need to go through the garden, through the gauntlet, and to the empty grave? Why did Jesus, the author, God, when he set the scene, why did Jesus not just get plugged up to a cross, die for our sins, and get raised again? What was the garden about? What was the gauntlet about? And then today, what is the empty grave? And a quick recap on week one was looking at the garden. And uh, for me personally, I don't know if I've ever had a week where I've felt the necessity of Jesus sitting in our garden. When I had um, the opportunity to go down with Beggy and Z and some of the team into the Dustin Hook uh, Shongweni community and see the tragedy and the devastation that's happening down there, to be able to sit with people and to be able to weep and to be able to pray with them. For friends that are sitting in this church today that are brave enough even to be in the house of God today after what's gone on and the week that they've had, and I know we've connected with you, for you to be able to go, Jesus has sat in my pain. He's sat in my garden. He's wept my tears. He's felt that, that anxiety or that sorrow or that grief. Then the second week, we looked at the idea that Jesus runs the gauntlet, that the fact that, like, that he would do anything because of the value that he places on our lives, that Jesus would run the gauntlet because for God so loved the world, for God so loved you, and we looked at the price and the value that we place on ourselves, and today we look at the empty grave and this particular statement that Jesus shouts out, I assume, as a final statement on the cross. He shouts out this statement, it is finished. The empty grave and the statement, it is finished. Can I pray very quickly? Father, thank you for what you want to do in this service, for what you want to do in the next 25 minutes together. I pray, God, that you would open up our hearts, that you would speak to us in a unique and divine way, God. So thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Perhaps the best way to 
um, unpack this idea of the empty grave and this statement that Jesus made of it is finished is to tell you a story that dates back right into the 18th century. It's about an account of um, the Canadian government and the railway department needing to speak to what was the local Indian or indigenous Indian people, perhaps we know as Red Indians of the time. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to build a railway line, train tracks from one side of Canada all the way to the other side. And it was gonna change the way that Canada was able to obviously transport people and things and goods. It was revolutionary in the 18th century. And so uh, they started to plan, but part of their plan was that they would have to go through some of the traditional land that did not belong to them, that belonged to the indigenous Indians. And so what started to happen was a course of multiple meetings between the Canadian government, the railway department, and the chief and his delegation of people. And so they had their first round of meetings and then everybody went back and had discussions and then they came back a couple of weeks later and had a second round of meetings and everybody went back and discussed the pros and the cons and what would be okay and what wouldn't be okay. And the railway departments and the Canadian government kept proposing how they would run this railway through and how it would be a great blessing and how it would be able to serve uh, the, their community and the Indian community. And, and so eventually there was consensus where the chief says at one of the meetings that it is okay to run this railway line right through their traditional land that belonged to them and that they were okay that the Canadian government and the railway department would do this. And so in a gesture of kindness to honor the chief's decision, they award the chief with the very first all-time, all-access railway pass to him and his family. They have a big kind of procession where they get everybody around and they give him the first Canadian all-access railway pass. They hand over this ticket to him just in a way to kind of honor the fact that they have made space for this. Anyways, fast forward a couple of years later, the chief gets sick and passes away. And at their traditional burial, they are kind of re, um, they, they, they're putting his body to burial and so they're putting on the burial clothes and they find around his neck in this kind of little pocket or sheath, they found inside the pocket this ticket they pull the ticket out, never been used. Not once ever did him or his family use this all-access path to the railway line throughout Canada. And the assumption is this, that the chief thought the gift was the ticket and not the all-access path. I wonder, family and friends, when it comes to our salvation, how many of us think that the gift is the ticket to heaven and not the all-access pass that Jesus has given us? I wonder how many of us have appropriated the gift of Jesus, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to a ticket to heaven and not riding the train. I wonder how many of us have pocketed the ticket 
instead of using and appropriating the ticket. Imagine, just for a moment, imagine that Jesus has offered us the world and we're eating the crumbs that have fallen off the table. Jesus says this in his final words before he dies on the cross. John chapter 19 verse 30. He shouts, I assume, or says in a loud proclamation, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Notice, Jesus gave his life. Nobody took it. He chose to give up his spirit. But in his final proclamation, his final words, he shouts this statement, it is finished. And so what? What did Jesus mean when he shouted, it is finished? What was he referring to? Well, we just read from John chapter 19, verse 30. If we reverse back in the scriptures, just two verses to verse 28, it says this. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. So when Jesus was referring to it is finished, he was referring to his mission his assignment here on earth, the reason that he came to earth, which begs the question, what was that? Why did Jesus come to earth? What was his mission? What was his assignment here on earth that he had finished? Well, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 is the account of the angel speaking to Joseph about his wife Mary being impregnated with Jesus and speaking to him about why Jesus was here. This is what, it, or why he was coming to the earth. This is what it says, Matthew 1 verse 21. It says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save, that word is sozo in the Greek, he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so Matthew and the angels describe the fact that Jesus' mission was to save you and me from our sins. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says this, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and save, that word sozo again, those who were lost. He came to seek and save. So why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save this word sozo. We've seen this word sozo in Matthew 1:21, and we've seen it again in Matthew and Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Those are not the only two occasions that this word sozo is used in the scriptures. It's actually used 54 times. And traditionally or commonly, it's been translated in English to the word saved. That's why we've read it twice there as Jesus came to seek and save. Jesus came to save us from our sins. But as you know, when you translate a particular word from one language to another, it doesn't easily or, or it doesn't always easily translate to a singular word. And in this case, the word sozo definitely doesn't easily translate to a singular word. It actually means multiple words, which is extremely important because if Jesus' purpose was to come and sozo the earth, then best you and I know what sozo means so that we don't pocket the ticket thinking all that Jesus came to do was save us in meaning all he came to do was rescue us from our sins and give us a ticket to heaven. And so here's a look into what the word sozo means. Multiple meanings. The first is to rescue, which is the word save we get. The next is the word liberate or the word freedom. Another is to keep from harm, which is the word rescue again. 
Another word when it comes to translating the word sozo is the word heal, both physical, mental, and emotional. And the last is to preserve. So when Jesus said, I came to seek and sozo, he wasn't saying, I came to get lost people to heaven. He was saying, I came to show lost people that they can be rescued and liberated and kept from harm and healed and preserved. And so I want to unpack that just a little because I don't want to pocket the ticket and I don't want you to pocket the ticket. I don't want us thinking, oh, the gift is the ticket to heaven when truly the gift is heaven on earth. Here it is, the word sozo, if we unpack it, the word rescue as we kind of know it. And, and listen, when it comes to theologians trying to choose a specific word, of all the words, I understand why they chose the word saved. Because of all the words they could have used, it probably sums up the other five or six words best. It probably has an all-encompassing kind of gathering idea. So they chose the word saved, which they're not wrong, but they're not entirely right. And so we have to unpack this idea, Jesus came to seek and to sozo. Jesus came to sozo the world from their sins. The idea is that he came to rescue us, as in today, friend, if you are lost, there's an opportunity to be found. If you are blind, there's an opportunity to see. And make no mistake, there absolutely is a ticket to go from earth to heaven. There is an eternal offer of salvation up for all of us. But it is more than that. It means to liberate. In other words, it means to set free. Other translations will use the word deliverance. It means, church, that for all of us, there is an invitation from Jesus, the work of the cross, the empty grave, to liberate you and I from anything that causes slavery of our lives. Anything that enslaves us, Jesus says, according to my salvation, the reason I came to this earth, I've come to set you free. I've come to deliver you from anything that caused bondage or slavery. And so friend, if you are sitting here and you have a known or a hidden addiction, Jesus says today you can be set free because it's part of Sozo. It's part of the salvation. It's part of the reason he came. If there are bad habits or habitual sin, perhaps that's caused shame and guilt and maybe even a detachment from God or family or friends, God says to you today, I'll set you free because that's Sozo. For many of us that are enslaved to fear or anxiety or depression, and many of us have subscribed to the way that the world puts it and says, you, you're going to live like this for the rest of your lives. God makes a loud proclamation by the empty grave saying, not true. I am not just taking you from earth to heaven. I'm bringing heaven to earth. I am saying that you can and should be delivered from any form of addiction, any form of fear, any form of anxiety, any form of depression mean that Jesus is ignoring or belittling your depression or your anxiety or your mental health. Remember, he sits in your garden. He weeps your tears. He ran that gauntlet, but then he shouts from the empty grave, it is finished. Sozo, the full power and deliverance and freedom and liberation that Jesus wants to bring. The word heal is vitally important. It means that every sickness, every sickness, church, Jesus died for all of our sins, and every sickness 
was taken care of at the cross. Now, I know how it works. We're like, maybe for somebody else, maybe not my sickness, maybe this one Jesus is going to, all sickness. Do you know that when Jesus was whipped, it says that he was whipped 40 less one, 40 minus one, which means he was whipped 39 times. Do you know that when you go and study the diseases, that they all go back to a root of 39 different diseases? Every lash was to take care of those 39 diseases. And the enemy would whisper in your ear and say, you're going to heaven, but you're going to live like hell on earth. And God says, that's not true, my friend. That is not what Sozo offers you. Sozo offers you freedom and deliverance and rescuing and healing. And so I want to tell you today, friend, if you're sitting in here and you have a physical ailment, Jesus wants to heal you. More than that, Jesus will heal you. Physical, emotional, mental. The word preserve is an interesting one. What it means is to, um, to, keep, to, 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 to keep or to make whole. It's this idea of restoration or regeneration. It means that if you're looking at loss or damage... So much of the time, life has a way of causing loss or damage. Nothing like this week to describe loss and damage. But God says, part of my sozo, part of my salvation is that I bring restoration, a regeneration. And yesterday, as I was, as I was preparing this message and praying for you, I had to go and officiate a, a wedding kind of 60 kilometers away, and I jumped in my car and it said 550 kilometers to go, and we're all kind of aware of petrol right now. And so I drove up, and uh, I got to the wedding, and I was praying on the way up and thinking about the sermon, and I turned around, and I came back, probably about 100 Ks, maybe 120 Ks. And when I got back here, my petrol gauge said 650 kilometers. Now, I, I know that some of you are going to go, well, it's this reason, that reason, but I really felt like God spoke to me in that moment and said, I'll do that. I'll do that in people's lives today. Where, where, where they should be going backwards, where it should be decreasing, where everything of the world says that you're not going to go forward, you're going backwards, where your loss and your damage says that it's over and that your best days aren't ahead of you. God says, I'll do a miracle. You'll drive 100 Ks in the wrong direction. You'll drive 100 Ks, which should get you going to 350 or 450, but I'll make it go up to 650 because that's the way I work. This, this gospel this message, this empty grave, it's not normal. It's not natural. It's, it's not logical. It can't be worked out. You want to work out Jesus? You're never going to work him out. That's what this miracle resurrection story is. The natural order, friends, the natural order is that death leads, uh, sorry, life leads to death. Everything up until the resurrection of Jesus followed the natural order. And then Jesus changed the order. They say, I'll make a supernatural order that makes dead things come alive, that causes restoration and regeneration and takes your loss and your damage. You know what, you know what this, this, this preserving speaks of? It speaks of that in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your trauma, in the middle of your garden, when it looks like things can only spiral and go downhill, the king of kings, the risen king shouts to you, your best days are ahead of you. So that's the offer 
of Sozo. How many of us have ticketed the gospel message of Christianity as I get to go to heaven when the message is you get to bring heaven to earth? How many of us have thought salvation just means getting to heaven? See, what we need to make sure of, church, is that we don't have a rescue relationship. We have a sozo story. There's nothing wrong with believing that Jesus rescued us and that we were lost and then we are found and that heaven has offered us eternity. Nothing wrong with that story. But that is not the price that Jesus paid on the cross. That is not the offer that God gave us. He gave us a sozo story. And so let me say it like this. This word, it is finished, in the Greek, is a word that is pronounced tetelestai. And it's an accounting term meaning paid in full. It's like having scales. And this idea of, pay, so, so when Jesus says it is finished, to the Greek listener, they heard paid in full, finished, job done. Everything that you owed, you no longer owe. Everything that the enemy could hold over you, he no longer has a hold over you. Every lie, every deception, every bit of past, every mistake, every sin, everything that was held against your accounts, Jesus says, job done. It is finished, friend. Was Jesus potentially declaring the most potent prophetic word when he shouted, it is finished. People no longer have to be slaves. You and I no longer have to be slaves to the dictates of this world and to the nuances of sin and the way that it wreaks havoc in our lives, but can be healed and whole and set free and not just rescued. Some of us have appropriated the gospel like Monopoly's get out of jail free card. Friends, you got the whole damn board and you're holding up the get out of jail free card like you're a freaking millionaire. And God's like, I paid it all. Why did you think the gospel was a get out of jail free card when I paid it all? I wonder, is that perhaps why Jesus taught us to pray this prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Think about those two statements. Your kingdom, God, heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If this is true, if this is true, friends, if we believe that we could get heaven onto earth, then why do we accept hell on earth? Have we pocketed the ticket? Listen to the account of the first woman who found the empty grave. This is the message today. It is finished because of the empty grave. It says this in Luke chapter 24. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the woman went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. You see, these women... And I don't blame them, but I just challenge us. Their perception was that Jesus was on the cross, that Jesus had died. That's why they brought the spices. And many of us can fall into the trap 
of seeing Jesus on the cross and not reminding ourselves that he's out of the empty grave. He didn't just die for our sins so we get a ticket to heaven. The empty grave shouts a loud word to us. It goes on to say this. They found that the stone was rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes, angels. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Isn't that a powerful statement? Why are you looking for Jesus on the cross, friends, when he's not even in the grave? Don't look for dead people. Don't look for somebody who's alive amongst dead people is what this statement is saying. And then it says this, he isn't here. The grave is empty. It's vacant and unoccupied. This is absolutely paramount as part of our faith for us to understand what has been paid for, the sozo gospel that God has given us. You know where you'll never find Jesus? The one place you will never find Jesus is in that grave. You'll find Him everywhere else, but you will never find Him in that tomb. He's not there. Why? Because He's risen. We'll get to that in a moment. Do you know where Jesus is? Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 says this, We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. So where's Jesus? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's not in the empty grave. You won't find him there. He's not on the cross. You won't find him there. He's risen from the dead, but he's seated. Now, this may not mean much to us, but the Levitical priests who would go into the tabernacle to perform the works of God never sat, always stood. And it represented the fact that there was always more work to be done. So when Jesus sat, he said, it's finished. Nothing more. We're not finishing a project. Jesus is not still finishing. It is finished. He sat down. No panic. That gives me some kind of confidence. If Jesus is seated, it gives me boldness. It gives me courage. All of a sudden, my Christian faith doesn't depend on, well, I guess I'll get to heaven. But my Christian faith starts to put courage and confidence in my heart that says that He's done it all. He's paid the price and now He's seated, not warring. And He says, you have access to all of heaven. The sozo gospel that is available to all of us. The verse goes on that we were reading about the woman and it says this, the angels asked, so why are you looking for the dead for, uh, for someone who is alive? He isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Jesus didn't just die, he rose. Resurrection is paramount to our faith. The grave is empty, death is overcome. We do not serve a dead God. We serve a risen God. And you know what happens in the empty tomb? In the empty tomb for you and I, hope should be birthed. Because you know what it means? It means that He was the first of all resurrection. Meaning you and I will be resurrected because He was resurrected. But more so, more so, it means dead things can come alive. 
It means you and I can look at our situations, can look at our circumstance and go, because of the empty grave, because Jesus makes dead things alive, because God rose Jesus from the dead, because death couldn't hold him down, I can look at any situation and I can declare that death is not the end. I can look at a dead relationship and go, that can change. I can look at a dead marriage and go, that can change. I can look at family and friends that look dead spiritually. Come on, some of you have them, and some of you have let the enemy lie to you, saying they're so far gone, they're never gonna make it. They're in the bush, they're so blinded, they're so far from God. And I start to look at that and go, but there's an empty grave. An empty grave says, he makes dead things alive. And so now I begin to prophesy with a confidence and a courage in my heart to say, God, their days are numbered. Their days are numbered because you make dead things come alive. Hope starts to rise from the empty grave. Then he ends the verse and says, remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and to be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Friends, today is a call to see more than the cross. It's to see the empty grave. Not only is he the suffering servant, but he's also the triumphant, victorious, risen king. Not only is he the lamb, but he is the lion. Not only is he the slain servant that we read about in Isaiah, 53, but he is the risen king. This is what the empty grave allows us to see. And I know for many of us, the empty grave will speak to us because if we're truthful, for many of us, we feel the sense of emptiness, empty promises, empty dreams, empty hopes, empty pursuits, maybe just emptiness on the inside. These futile attempts to find meaning in things and people and status. And if the empty grave says anything, it says that you no longer need to be empty, my friends. John chapter 10 verse 10 says it so well. It speaks again about the purpose of the enemy of our souls, the devil, and the purpose of Jesus. And it says this, it says the thief only comes or the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy. That's the purpose of the enemy. That's what he's doing every single day in your life. Stealing your joy, stealing your peace, robbing your purpose, robbing your perspective. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. The empty grave shouts, you don't have to be empty. You can be full. Listen what it says in another translation when it speaks about the full life. It says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus, is to give, you, uh, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Another version says it like this. It says the thief, comes, uh, except to, uh, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Other versions speak about overflowing. Friends, the question I ask to you on Easter Sunday is, is your life one that is full and rich and satisfying and abundant and overflowing? Or does it look more like one that is robbed and stolen and there's thievery? Because if it looks like robbing and thievery, then we have maybe, perhaps, pocketed the ticket that Jesus paid for us on the cross. 
Because Sozo speaks a different story. Sozo says that you will be healed and made whole and restored and regenerated and that you will be delivered and set free and rescued. The Easter story is not just one where we share Jesus died on a cross three days later, He rose again. It's a powerful declaration to you and me that we don't have to live that way. The greatest evidence, the greatest evidence of an empty tomb is your and my full life. That's the greatest evidence. How will people know that the grave, the tomb is empty? Because I'm living life to the full. Abundant, rich, satisfying, overflowing. The sozo story of God. Full of confidence, full of boldness, full of hope, full of perspective. Believing that there is freedom and healing and wholeness and deliverance. Church, let's not pocket the ticket. Let me end by saying this. There was one thing left in the grave. It wasn't completely empty. Some of you may know this. But as they walked in, there, folded neatly, were Jesus' clothes. For us, perhaps this is bizarre. Are you like, some of you can't even get your clothes into the washing. Here's Jesus died, you know, beaten the gauntlet and like resurrected and he still could fold his clothes. But, 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 but bizarre, let's just be honest, bizarre, right? Unless you understood the Jewish tradition. And that was, when you were sitting at the table and you needed to get up to leave the table for whatever reason, if you were done, you would take the napkin that was on your lap and you would just pick it up and you would kind of leave it scrunched up to say, I'm done. The plate can go, I'm finished, I'm not returning. But if you were returning, you would take that napkin and you would neatly fold it and you would place it on the table so that everybody around knew, I've gone, but I'm coming back. And so when Jesus folded up his clothes, and left them in the empty tomb. Man, that empty tomb shouted, I've gone, but I'm coming back. And friends, the message of Jesus is that he is coming back for his people. And I don't know where you sit in your faith, but I want to tell you, friend, that the Bible is extremely clear. In a world that throws around all sorts of ideas of truth, Jesus says, I am the truth. In a world that says there are many ways to God, Jesus says, I am the only way to God. In a world that says you can find life and purpose and fulfillment in many things, Jesus says, I am the life. He doesn't leave that up for debate. And so I guess for each of us in the room, we have to answer this question. Will we bow our knee? Will we surrender to God? I know many of us, 
have done that in the room, but perhaps, friend, you are here today, maybe online or in the room, and you're going, today's my day. Perhaps you've been running from God. Perhaps you've called yourself a Christian. But today you know God's got your number. That you need to surrender. And say, okay, Jesus. Because Jesus is coming back for His people. And the way you and I become His people is by believing that Jesus died on a cross, that He was buried, and that three days later He was risen from the dead. And because of that resurrection power, you and I can receive eternal salvation. The sozo story of God, which says that you will be rescued and saved and healed and delivered and set free and preserved and healed. And so I'd love to pray with you. If you have never made peace with God, we, with great anticipation, want to pray with you today so that you can make peace with your Savior. Could I ask you all to close your eyes? Friend, we're not going to embarrass you, but we do really believe that responding to God is not only important, but necessary. That you would need to open up your heart, that you would need to pray a prayer asking God to come in and be your Lord and Savior, that you would need to ask Him to forgive your sins, that you would need to look at the work of the cross and the empty grave. So with everybody's eyes closed, so I can see who I'm praying with this morning, would you be brave enough just to stick your hand up right where you are and say, Cole, I need to pray that prayer this morning. I know I do. Would you lift your hand up right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't miss your moment. You want to pray that prayer, just slip your hand right up and you can slip it right back down. Thank you. I see a bunch of hands that have gone up. I'm going to ask everybody to repeat after me a simple prayer of salvation, asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Won't you repeat after me? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, today I surrender. Thank you for dying on a cross, for taking my sin and my shame and nailing it to that cross once and for all. Jesus, today, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name. Keep everybody's eyes closed. Just a second prayer. I know many of us have perhaps taken the ticket and pocketed it. Said, that's great, I'm a Christian. Believe in Jesus, I go to heaven. I just believe that God's doing something in your heart today that says, no friend, this is about getting heaven to earth. This is about living a life that's full. This is about God taking the loss and the damage and declaring that your best days are ahead of you. And so Father, if anybody is feeling that way right now, I thank you for Sozo. Thank you for rescuing healing, delivering, freeing, preserving, making us whole. And I right now, God, ask you for supernatural healing, physical healing, emotional, mental healing right now in the name of Jesus. God, thank you 
that the empty grave shouts that it is finished. Thank you for your healing right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you're setting people free right now. Free of addiction, free of fear, free of depression. We thank you for your spirit, 